about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way, it might be really good. Wow. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around, but those dreams have remained... Hello, and welcome to It's Good Upset This Sucks, a movie-by-movie and television series-by-television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, released in February 2023. When you could have saved cinema from being entirely devoured by the multiverse by going to see 80 for Brady instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give their thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is writer and editor Kirsten Howard. Kirsten, where can people find you? You can find me at Den of Geek. I'm the news and features editor there currently, and I'm there every day. I also have a web series and podcast called Marvel Standom, which is produced by the Den of Geek Network. Okay, so before we go any further, Kirsten, what happens in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? Well, following the events of Avengers Endgame, Scott Lang has become a celebrity superhero, but his daughter Cassie is regularly in trouble with the law. One day, Cassie reveals she's been working on a way to find a lost person in the quantum realm after Scott was down there for so long. Unfortunately, Cassie's new signal is hijacked by Kang the Conqueror, who has been exiled in the quantum realm for some time. Janet reveals she once met Kang and foresaw his diabolical intentions towards the multiverse, so the Ant Fam attempt to stop him leveraging their skills to leave the quantum realm and cause trillions of deaths. Okay, so Kirsten, how much do you about Modoc before you saw this? More than I should legally or (laughs) (laughs) yeah for my sanity way more than I should have. Yeah I'm going to say before we get into anything more heavyweight about this movie I really felt with Modoc. I mean the whole issue is that's a character that doesn't really work outside of a comic context. I mean there are some people that feel it doesn't really work in a comic context but it's a giant head in the sort of mechanised flying right. suit and <laughs> they've previously done in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. they kind of did Modoc as sort of a brain in the jar controlling some life model decoys and I thought that was going to be how they'd tackle it but no, they've done him I say him here and I kind of feel that both with that and with bringing Darren Cross back as him it's almost like they did both of those things because they felt they had to. I mean, they'd also been, shortly before this, there was sort of jokey family sitcom animation based on Modoc on Disney+. Plus. So I'm not quite sure what they were doing. I mean, I think Corey Stoll did a decent job with the character, which apparently based partly on Frank Grimes and The Simpsons and partly on Otto from A Fish Called Wonder. But I don't really see that having a very silly character played in a very silly way in what was already intended as a comedy film really served much purpose. So they have reinvented a lot of characters for the MCU to make them less ridiculous 
ridiculous, but with Modok, they really went for it. Modok does work in the comics, and also I did like the Disney Plus series with Patton Oswalt. I really enjoyed that. I think Modok's best digested in a ridiculous way. The series like Modok's Eleven, Supervillain Team Up, which is like a Fred Van Lente series, that is the, like a perfect kind of accompaniment for Quantum Mania. Putting Darren Cross as the actual Modok in Quantum Mania is an interesting twist. For me, the fact that it's ridiculous isn't the problem because I'm willing to accept many ridiculous things. It's more the fact that visually it doesn't look great. <laughs> His no. face does look very CGI and stretched and very Games Master, if you remember that series from your kids. So it does look odd in perhaps not the best way, but I don't think Modoc's like the main problem with the movie overall. No, I mean, I'm going to be absolutely honest about this. While I think the criticism of it has been overblown and overplayed, and I think it's decent. It does what it sets out to do. It is not on the same level as the previous Ant-Man movies. It really, really isn't. It just lacks that focus that they had on them as characters. It seems to fire off in a number of directions that don't actually have resolutions within this movie itself. And so it just feels like it's setting up strands that just sit there and Scott and Hope sort of get a bit lost in the middle of all that. Yeah, that's true. I think what the Ant-Man films have going for them and maybe do in this third one too is that they are family movies. They are Saturday afternoon movies that you can sit and watch and they're perfectly fine. But the first two really worked because essentially they're kaiju movies, you know? There's a sense of scale there in the real world that you don't get in the quantum realm and it sort of doesn't quite work as well in quantum mania no and i think the big mistake they made here above everything else was i mean there are very different issues surrounding kang as the big bad now right. but my suspicion here is that they tried to i know he'd already sort of been in loki but they tried to bring him in in what was ostensibly the funny film to make him look all the more menacing and that bit where he suddenly turns nasty when he's interrogating them that is absolutely fantastic that is really terrifying but as a whole i don't think somehow the blending of the two approaches quite came off that's true, Tim. It's totally uneven. The stuff with Janet and Kang is really compelling and really well acted and seems to have like heaviness to it. And because it's sort of cutting back and forth between, you know, what is essentially very silly and quite CG heavy, quite volume heavy, it just doesn't, the silliness doesn't quite blend with the heaviness of the Kang plot. So it doesn't ever feel like Kang's going to win, despite the fact that clearly Scott is outmatched on every level. I know some people People had a problem with the ending with the ants being key in overthrowing Kang but I found that to be quite a nice touch honestly and it seemed to fit with the movies quite well but yeah it is a low point for the franchise unfortunately and I think that a lot of people perhaps the Ant-Man films weren't their favorite franchise in the MCU anyway so having a bomb or whatever I think this movie needed to make 600 million to break even and I think it made about 476 million so it was like a disappointment at the box office and I suspect that they thought that that might be the only one they had in 2023 <laughs> but they were wrong I don't think it's fair despite this movie's problems with tone and some of its CG and its its rush nature to kind of hold it up as a low point for the MCU in a way or like a harbinger of problems to come because it is a perfectly fine movie I, was, I sat and rewatched it before I talked to you today and I thought it's actually fine you know there's nothing offensive about um, um, the Wasp 
Quantumania, really, um, in terms of its plot or the way it wraps up. It's just unfortunate that a series of events sort of colluded to make it not do as well as it could have. And also, I think, you know, problems behind the scenes contributed to that as well. It's unfortunate because I think people do like Scott Lang as a character and were quite happy to see another Ant-Man movie. Yes, the production history is quite confused about this. It does look as though it was in production before the script was actually ready, which is never really a good sign. I mean, you say that, I think that like at least one of the Men in Black movies, they were writing that, <laughs> they were writing the script <laughs> on set. So it does happen more often than you think. And I know that Marvel picks up a lot of things and rejigs things in reshoots, you know, regularly. So that it's not an unusual phenomenon for them to only have like most of the story sorted out or half the story sorted out. Well, that's true. But at the same time, they were dealing with apparently half of it was shot under social distancing conditions and half wasn't. Right. There was yeah. a break halfway through when it was amongst the crew, not the cast, but there was a COVID outbreak. Right. Yeah. And it just seemed very stop start at a time when people would have probably had trouble focusing anyway and then you got the problem of everything coming out bunched together people's expectations being too high and it just not being as good as it should be yeah and I think behind the scenes there were a lot of problems we've heard a lot of reports and rumors about what was going on behind the scenes because things kept getting shuffled around and delayed you know they're trying to wrap up Black Panther 2 with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania at the same sort of time and like they were stretched way too thin in terms of the VFX and stuff like that. So yeah, it has got quite a troubled production history, this movie. And there is one thing that I will really say as a criticism is there is too much purple. It looks like an early (laughs) 90s gross out toy. (laughs) I haven't noticed the purple myself. But I believe you. But I do think, I mean, far be it from me to say to a director or scriptwriter, you should have done this. Normally, I would stay a million miles from that. But I think one thing missing from this that could really have lifted it was we don't get Scott's gang, the ex-con gang in it. Had you had them in the lab, cussing back to them every so often saying, where's everyone gone? And sort of, you know, whoa, man, don't use the vacuum cleaner. And Louis doing recaps. Not only is that an extra thread of comedy that's not connected to the main action. It's a bit of connection with the real world as well, which you do sort of lose touch with when they're in there. Yeah, that's true. I definitely did miss the gang in this one. I know that David Dasmalchian was recast as another character here, and you know, he's quite a fun character, perhaps yeah. got more to do <laughs> than his other original character, but I do miss Louise and the rest just like chiming in and playing off. Again, I feel like this is missing the real world aspect that often made Scott Lang's stories so involving. In this one, he says, like, look out for the little guy, and that's kind of the catchphrase of the movie, but he was the little guy. He was the guy that was a criminal who was reformed and was trying to build his life back up and reconnect with his daughter, and it was all stuff that maybe we could relate to in a way that with the other more spectacular characters in the franchise, like, we can't connect with them as much. But Scott is, you know, hugely relatable. So, yeah, I just feel like it lost that here, by taking such a grand visual and like perhaps reaching a bit beyond its means. 
I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, one of the main reasons I love the first two movies is there's a lot to relate to in there if you are in Scott and Hope's position, tentatively dating around your other commitments in life. You know, right. Not necessarily <laughs> size-changing, high-tech, saboteur business, but you know what I mean? There was that touch of something you could identify with. Whereas I think in this, they've shifted that a little bit to, I mean, what little we get the outside world, but we've now have Cassie as a teenager who obviously is becoming stature as in the comics. Right. But I think they've had their cake and eaten it in terms of she is presented as a bit of an eco-warrior. I'm no doubt some reviewers criticised as having woke politics. And while it's sympathetic towards her and it portrays her as disciplined and passionate and determined to get one over on authority, Scott and Hope's reaction is a bit sort of kids, eh, parents? It doesn't give her much development as a character. This is a problem with several of the young Avengers that they've brought in, that they're in the film full of adults and they don't really get their own character development. I mean, Kamala Khan's an exception to that and Kate Bishop. Mm. But in other cases, they don't really get enough of a backstory, enough of themselves. And Cassie, I don't even think she gets enough bonding to do with Scott, unlike in the previous two films. I think she's a bit sort of, I am also here. Yes, no, I think you're right. Catherine Newton, the young actress that plays her, she's a great young actress. Um, she's been in a movie a couple of years ago called Freaky, which became like kind of a cult hit instantly. So she's great, but she doesn't get enough to do here. And whether that's because some stuff was edited out, it doesn't really feel... I don't think that Scott would be as disappointed with Cassie as he was that didn't really feel right to me it seemed like you know he would be quite supportive of her no matter what he sort of reverses his outlook on Cassie but I don't think it helped that the actress was recast for the role because we'd already seen like a young version of her and then a younger teen version of her and then now there's a new Cassie and she looks completely different and she's got to win us over in just sort of a few minutes because this movie doesn't take long to jump right into the quantum realm and get going but it feels like we haven't really connected with their relationship enough at that point point. and also scott's got a bit of a nerve given that you know he's a safe cracker right he's, he's an ex-con himself like and he wasn't doing he was doing it for selfish reasons not you know not for cassie's or like politics or whatever which are usually positive i mean they sounded like she was doing the right thing absolutely i think they didn't hold her up to ridicule or anything but there was still that oh oh, what's she done now? Oh, yes. Angle yeah. for the parents to relate to. So, yeah, I feel that's a bit patronising to both parties, really. But the whole point of them not spending enough time on the outside is they don't pick up enough on something interesting that's brought in where, in common with Clint Barton in the Hawkeye series, Scott is one of the people who saved the Earth several times that the public aren't really that bothered about. He does an autobiography that's not a literary masterpiece by the sound of it. People don't know who he is when they give him free stuff. In a beautiful touch, E from Eels asks for a selfie with him, which was a great cameo. But I felt they could have done a bit more with that because it then would have made him, you know, it would have had more impact in terms of he stopped this microscopic bastard, basically, from getting out into the real world and no one will know. He's done something as big, if not bigger, than anything Tony Stark ever did. Yeah, there's not a lot of depth to Scott's story in this one. And the message 
huge for his story does kind of get lost narratively as the movie goes along. He becomes kind of a side character, which is not always a bad thing, but it's just, it sort of mirrors what's going on in the real world. He is becoming sort of like a a more minor Avenger as opposed to someone like Spider-Man who people would recognize at least until recently. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're at ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but quanta. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now. his character does get lost here and it's hard to sort of cling on to how he's growing or what he's experiencing because the attention is so split amongst the ant fam here and kang so he does almost feel like a side character i did on the other hand though i loved how much janet got to do yes i think michelle pfeiffer hadn't been given that much to do in the previous films but she really rises to it here interestingly i do think that given one of the key scenes is with bill Moore, while it was in production there was a lot of publicity about him being in it you know but he's going to be a game-changing character (laughs) and he's hardly in it he basically says hello I have a funny hat and I once had an affair with Janet when she was down here and then disappears (laughs) so did a lot of that go in the editing but I did really like seeing her get a bit more prominence yeah I mean she's great and as soon as you give her anything to work with you know she devours that meat like she is great as Janet in this and she almost become takes like the spotlight in this movie which I don't mind at all I just think it's great to watch Michelle Pfeiffer do anything and she's great in those scenes with Kang too yes I mean we do have to tackle him eventually I will say (laughs) it's interesting that there's a trace of comics Janet in her performance I think in that while it's not explicitly stated she does channel a little bit of that someone who's good at leading because she was an entitled socialite and I really appreciated that but yeah Kang now (laughs) it became very difficult shortly after the film came out Mm -hmm. the difficult truth is Jonathan Majors is really really good in this and I like the way they made Kang somebody who is lonely but past the point where that makes him feel any need for other people he's just hardened to that now to the isolation I like the way the time chair was made to look like some that looks impressive the first time you see it and then looks stupider and stupider each time. A bit like the B-sharps from The Simpsons. But everything about this is setting him up as the future big bad. And that's very much in question now. Yeah, well, it absolutely is. As we're recording this, we're hearing a lot of rumours about Marvel wanting to move away from Kang. The fact is that Major's performance in this movie is great. You know, he has these legal problems. There are victims here and, you know, we believe women and hope they're getting the support that they need. There is an extent to which I could be happy with them moving on from Kang. 
There are so many other big bads they could use. I mean, Galactus is right there. And as well as that, to a degree, Kang, the way they're portraying him here, feels a bit like Thanos Part 2. You know, similar objectives in a way. Maybe a completely different direction is needed. Maybe. They've got plenty of villains still to pick from. They've made great villains out of people who were nothing on the page. They've changed villains to be completely different. They do still have people like Galactus. They still do have Doom as an option. And that's obviously my preferred (laughs) direction for the MCU is always Doom if they're able to do him right. But yeah, there's still so many to choose from. I don't think they should feel tied to Kang narratively. I think that's the problem with setting out a phase so far in advance and building two phases around one villain is that you're then tied to that narrative and that method of storytelling. And it doesn't give you a lot of options for moving away from that if you need to. And you should always have those options. Well, fortunately, it only occurred to me recently that they have set up a few other possible routes of multiverse incursion. Things like what was going on in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? How were the inhabitants of that dimension getting through? How did Quentin Beck know it was Earth 616? There's Man Thing and the Nexus of Reality is being introduced now. Peter Parker and Doctor Strange have broken the multiverse. So there are other options they could use. But obviously this was intended to be Kang's major fist on the table, which he does do a lot of, walloping entrance. And it may now not be that after all. It does feel like there's a rethink going on there. I don't think they can be afraid to say we've changed our minds or you know this isn't working and we need to rethink this i think people would probably just appreciate the honesty at this stage i think so and also that creates the space for a little more appreciation of things that haven't worked down the line because we've got to be honest as much as both of us may have to varying extents enjoyed everything that's come since endgame the general public haven't taken to some things at all. And you can't just point at them and say they're wrong. I mean, you can point at some columnists and critics and say they're wrong because they're talking gibberish, but that's different. If people aren't watching these things, you know, it's the ordinary people, something is wrong there. Perhaps, but I don't think they can be afraid to take swings either at stuff. I mean, WandaVision wasn't watched as much as Falcon the Winter Soldier. You know, Hawkeye wasn't watched as much as Moon Knight, but WandaVision and Hawkeye remain really great shows for them. Loki has obviously been quite big, but things that are not as popular. Personally, I like the film Eternals. I know a lot of people who don't, and I feel they have valid points when they talk about why they don't. But I'm glad they made that swing and they invested in a different vision and introducing all these different characters. It's just that we've had so many now. We've had so many projects, and although they like to tie them together a little bit, it does feel like Phase 4 was absolutely Absolutely massive and sprawling and people started to think well does what here matters what do I need to see and that wasn't as clear to them I think as pre-end game they knew exactly what was happening they knew when the projects were happening and what they were supposed to be getting out of them but in phase four there was just so much to ingest that it started to feel a little bit more like homework than it did before well I think one thing they need to kind of get past is the idea that everyone has to have their own 
own headlining series or film. I mean, when you look at it, throughout all those 20-odd films, Rhodey did not have his own headlining slot. Hawkeye didn't until after it all finished. So there is nothing wrong with, say... I mean, I loved Eternals. I think an Eternals 2 would be a bit of a stretch commercially. But <laughs> let's yeah. have Kingo and Sprite turn up in, say, the next Thor film or something. Absolutely. You know, our second lease. That's what they should be doing with people, really. I do think that there's an intention to keep the Eternals in the mix one way or another. They're obviously a big part of the overarching comic story with the X-Men and the Avengers. So I think that especially they've brought King-O back in a number of occasions. They were in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. They were recently in Loki with season two. Well, again, this was King-O in both situations. So he's clearly become a favourite of theirs behind the scenes. But I think that you have so many of these characters now and you can utilize them in the way that you see fit but some of them have become breakout characters and they've tried to sort of focus on them a bit as well uh, bringing Kamala Khan back for the Marvels Kate Bishop Florence Pugh Yelena Belova you know these are characters that have sort of broken away from you know the fold so I think they have an idea of what has worked and what hasn't worked it's just really that there's so much now there are so many threads and it's like well how do we focus and I think focus is key going forward absolutely I think they're being very careful about it I like the way the defenders are being brought back in almost through the back door yeah I mean I know we're getting a daredevil series but going ahead with the new series of Iron Fist might have been a bit of a gamble but right. they are kind of thinking a bit more I think and I hope that's how things progress going forward I mean very little has been actually properly announced bar things that are actually in post-production at the moment And I think that's good. Yeah, and you can see the rethink happening in the reports that we're getting about even the Daredevil series. You know, it doesn't have perhaps the, well, the relative impact of a movie, but it does culturally have a huge impact for them to bring Daredevil back. People love Daredevil. They love that Netflix show. And Charlie Cox is still going to be Matt Murdock. And they began filming that. The strikes happened. It came back. And they just kind of, it seemed that they just admitted like what they had done, it wasn't working. So they thrown out so much of that and they were like, okay, this isn't working. We need to do something else. And they brought in a different team. It seems like the writer's strike has had a positive effect on the way they're running these shows behind the scenes as well and bringing in actual showrunners and not just sort of swapping in and out of talent as the shows in pre-production, production, post-production. And again, that shows a level of focus that perhaps has been missing. I'd agree with that completely and I think there is a beautiful irony in the fact that the main body of the film and Quantumania finishes with Scott questioning whether they've actually seen the last of Kang. Right. (laughs) They may have done, barring Loki there and then. We do get two Kang-centric post-credit scenes again, one of which may have lost its relevancy now. I mean, I don't think this is brilliantly done. A load of Kang variants including Immortus, Ramatut, Centurion, it's just basically Jonathan Majors jumping in a few different directions yeah. and making some noises. 
And I'm not sure all Kangs all behave in the same excitable way like that, but that's very clearly setting up something that, as I say, may now never happen. I would bet good money that it's not going to happen. I mean, <laughs> they really dug their own grave on that post credit scene because, you know, they are all Jonathan Majors. And we've seen in Loki, you know, variants look different. You can have an alligator version of you that's taken a little trip off the timeline there and caused another branch to exist. But with the Council of Kangs, yeah, they tied themselves to, well, they all look like Jonathan Majors. So not ideal. They couldn't have known at the time, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's regrettable. The nearest comparable equivalent to that is that brilliant one with Thanos almost off screen, just picking up the gauntlet and saying, fine, I'll do it myself which commits them to almost nothing. Right. I mean, it hints that we might see him down the road, but, you know, we're not utterly focused on it. Kang is just such a headache. I think playing with multiverses and timelines and different realities and possible futures and time travel, like, that's hard to keep a grasp on anyway as a writer and, like, narratively without it sprawling over so many different projects that you have, uh, like Irons in the Fire. It's just too much. Yeah, you can get too tied up in multiverses. Speaking of which, the second post credit scene turned out to be an excerpt from series two of Loki. Now, my big question here is, how did Tom Hiddleston steal a film that he wasn't even in? Because he's a star with a capital S. That's why he's great. He's got that character down, been playing it for 14 years now, and just a close-up on Tom Hiddleston's face is enough to steal an entire movie away from many other characters. I think there have been very few true words spoken on this show. <laughs> so there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Kirsten, if you had access to a time chair, what would you use it for? I guess I would do that predictable thing where you go back and, you know, you have the results of all the horse races and the football results and all that stuff and just make a ton of money and invest it in, like, in good things. I think money that's what I'd do. I think money makes the world go round, unfortunately, but if I could go back and invest in protecting the environment or helping people in a way that they hadn't been helped, I would try to do that. You could always put money on Quantumania not making its money back in its opening <laughs> weekend, unfortunately. But we've been critical about it, but like I say, I don't see what the big problem with it is. No, it's absolutely fine. It's not going to blow you away. It's not the, one of the best MCU movies but it, it's just it's a fine watch and there are things to like about it it just doesn't work overall i think that's putting it exactly as it should be kirsten thank you and excelsior thank you thank you for having me tim if you've enjoyed this don't forget you can buy more editions of it's good except it sucks and plenty more besides including details of my book can't help thinking about me at timworthington.org